giant robot smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robot Smashing Into Other Giant Robots podcast. It is November 1st. I'm at RubyConf. I'm also Ben Ornstein, and I'm here with Sarah May. My May. Sarah May. How are you doing, Sarah? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I am doing awesome. Uh, Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Uh, So I noticed, I've done some research on you, and I must say I'm extremely upset to notice that you have more followers on Twitter than I do. Uh Uh-oh. However, I noticed you joined GitHub one month later than I did. Okay, I think you get more geek cred I feel vindicated in that regard. Uh, But uh, so how's RubyConf going for you? I have been doing essentially the hallway track all day. It's been awesome. Nice. I meant to go to talks. And I did go to the keynote, and then the rest of the time I've been hanging out in the hallway. That's kind of the best and talking part, right? To people. Yeah, that's exactly. a lot of fun. So you're speaking, though? I am. I'm speaking on Saturday. Okay. How do you feel about speaking on the last day? Well, this is not the end of the last day. That's true. I'm at the beginning of the last day. Okay, that's good. You get you get some people somewhat fresh. So um, your topic for Saturday seems super interesting. Can you kind of give an overview of what you're going to be covering? Yeah, what I'm going to talk about is are the ways in which uh, the communication patterns within your team leave fingerprints on the code that your team writes. And we're going to look a little bit at how that happens and look at actually the the hallmarks of it, how you can see it in the code that you write. And then we're also going to look at uh, how you can use that information to improve your code. So Hmm. how you can look at problems in your code and understand what is, what is the communication problem they are reflecting, wow. and how can you fix that? That's so interesting. That's why I ju- we just uh, recently recorded a podcast with the th- uh, Tamer and Randall, the Thunderbolt guys, and in it I said that I'm always shocked at how often communication turns out to be the issue. It's like the heart of what's going on, and it's just yet another level. You think So you're saying that the communication within a team shows up in the code. You can you see, see it this. in the code. You can look at a code base, and you can see... Probably, you can usually see at least the broad structure of the team, and often you can actually see... like. Programming is such an individual thing, right? Like it really is you putting your brain into code, and mm-hmm. everyone codes so differently. You ask two people to do the same task, and they'll get you, they'll give you a piece of code that's completely different. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, uh, and so we've known for a long time that you can sort of analyze code and see who wrote it. Like if you've got a set of developers, you can, you can, you don't even need the git annotate, right? You look at it, you're like, I know who wrote that, right? And it turns out that like you can do that at an individual level, and then you can also do that at a team level. So you can look at it and you can say, huh, these two guys weren't talking to each other very much, were they? You can see like repeated codes implemented slightly differently and things like that. So oh, cool. So, so you started to touch on an example. Can you give me some, some concrete things? Like what, how can you tell how we're communicating? Like what, what kind of code stuff are you seeing? Well, one of the examples that I think is interesting is that I, I had a, a piece of code that I ran into in a, in a Rails model that had uh, where they were including the URL helpers in order to add a URL field to their asJSON method. Mm-hmm. And there's two interesting things that I learned from that. One is that we had presenters for some of the other models in the system that I had introduced, and what I discovered was there's a knowledge silo that I did not realize. So that knowledge had not made it out of my head into the rest of the team yep. adequately. Right. Uh, the other thing I discovered is that these were the, the developers who wrote that code were new to Rails. And uh, when they were learning, one of the things I told them was fat models, skinny controllers, right? Right, right, right. So what I learned from that is there's a shelf life to that saying, basically. that like They had taken that to heart. Good for them. They didn't do it in the controller, right? But uh, that they were ready for the more nuanced version of that saying, yep. you know, which is basically skinny controllers and 
models that just have persistent stuff and put everything else in a separate class, right? right? Which is like harder to say. Right. So, you know, when they were first learning, it was much more appropriate to just give them the shorthand version. But uh, so what I learned is that like the, the developers I was working with had reached a point at which they were ready to hear something more nuanced. Mm-hmm. Um, and I needed to update them, basically. Right. And that's an indication that that communication hadn't taken place yet. Right. Interesting. Right. And it's a reflection that at one point, they were commun- the com- communication to them was, shove it in a model and right. you'll be good to go. Yep. It's interesting the way that the, the double edges of rules of thumb... Right, like it's, it is I, interesting, and and it's it's funny because I go through this process as I, I'll read like another blog post or like a new book or something, and I'm like, oh my god, tell don't ask. This is so awesome. My code is going to be so good. I'm going to do this everywhere all the time, and then you realize, well, it's actually not except. good in these places, except these places. Like you learn the exceptions and the nuances, and like I, I keep every, there's no silver bullet. That's like the, the most cliche way to say it, but like you keep realizing that like there are no hard and fast rules in software development. Like you've yeah. got to just keep diving down into like different levels of nuance and experience. Yeah, I see. I find that, that people that are, are fairly new to Rails usually over-dry things, for mm. example. Mm-hmm. So my, one of my coworkers says, make it dry but not so dry that it chafes, <laughs> which I think is, is a really interesting way of putting it. But you know, there are situations in which repeating yourself is perfectly appropriate mm. and probably the best thing to do. Like what? Well, for example, when you're writing tests, part the, the main reason that you're writing tests in, in many cases is that you want to it's a form of documentation for other developers. And so if you move out uh, too much information about what you're doing just because it's repeated a few times, sometimes uh, that sometimes makes them harder to understand hmm. by just looking at them the first time. So one of the goals for, the, for a test is to look at it and understand exactly what it is saying it's doing and to look at the test itself and to be able to say, oh, yeah, that's what it's doing. I can see that. Hmm. Um, so... So is the, is the non-dry part of the test the setup then for the test? Is that what you're saying? Not the setup, but often uh, I think the setup, you know, putting stuff in, I'm not opposed to putting things in before blocks, for example, but, mm-hmm. uh, but a lot of times people will do things like they'll take a, 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 particular, um, a particular test that's run on a couple of different things and sort of metaprogram it. So they'll put a, these things in an array, right? And then you'll sort of write a test for each thing. Yeah. But that makes it really hard to uh, to parse if you're sitting there looking the at it and trying happen, to actually yeah, understand what's going on, especially when they break. And so it's I feel like that's probably too dry because at that point you want you want it to you want to repeat it so that people can actually understand it when they open the file. Right. So you're so you're saying sometimes you could sacrifice readability for dryness and that sometimes right. is not a good trade-off. Right. Right. Exactly. Yep. And that's a, that's a great example of the nuance of the rule. Like, yes, dry is almost always a good idea. Almost always. Until it's not. Right. Until there's a, a concern that makes it, you know, that's worth more. Right. And yep. Interesting. So, so what else are you, what, take us down your talk a little bit more. Like, what, are you going to be showing examples? Like, what will this talk look like? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show some examples. Um, I'm going to actually go through a little bit of academic research, which is interesting in this area. Um, there's been, actually, people have been thinking about this for a really long time. There's a, there's a law from 1968 called Conway's Law, yep. which says that any organization that builds a system will build a copy of its communication structure. And so that we've known that for a long time, sort of at the architectural level, that's really obvious. You can look at, uh, for example, I worked on a project once where uh, the philosophy of hiring developers was you hire really smart people from top schools, then you let them do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, so they had eight developers. And their app, it turns out, was a service-oriented architecture with eight services. <laughs> and uh, it reflected the fact that they really hired people that were that liked to work by themselves, that didn't like to talk to other people, that didn't, for whatever reason, they, those are the people that had made it through their screening process. Yeah. And uh, it was a really dramatic illustration of that principle. So at the architectural level, it's really obvious to see, but the interesting thing about it is that it still applies even at sort of smaller levels within your, within your code. So it applies even within, uh, within individual classes, within the sort of the, the, dis- the pieces of design that we do every day. We don't always, we don't set up an architecture for an app every day, but every day we're making little decisions about where does this code go? Where does that code go? Should I leave this in the model or should I put it out into another object? And so those decisions uh, are also um, are also con- also contain sort of representations of your communication structure, but they're a little more subtle and harder to see because when you're looking at the architecture level, it's really clear where team boundaries and communication boundaries line up, mm-hmm. right? And so then module boundaries line up with those. Right. Uh, but it's a little harder to see when everyone's working on the same code base. Mm-hmm. But it's more, it gives you, it, it's actually more useful at that level than it is at the architectural level because how many people are going to become a CTO and set up a team of people and sort of establish a, a set of communication uh, protocols? But, you know, everyone works on a team, right? Everyone works on a team and a shared code base. And if you're in that situation, there's still a lot of stuff you can do to affect. Uh, how the communication to improve the communication within your team, which will actually, it turns out, uh, improve the quality of the code that you're writing. So it's 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 funny you say that because one of the things uh, that I think has improved my coding abilities most in the last year, like in, actually probably in my career period, has been uh, these developer discussions that we started doing at Thoughtbot on Fridays. Interesting. Which is where a group of us get together, or pretty much all the developers get in a room, and we discuss some particular topic or some particular piece of code, and it's just sort of like a big knowledge transfer. And like that communication of like different ideas has just had huge impact on the code I write at the end of the day. So I can totally buy what you're saying, which is like if a team is sharing these thoughts and these ideas, like the code is going to start to look probably more consistent, right? Right. Like we all know about this pattern and we all know about this smell and so mm-hmm. the, the pattern shows up and the smell doesn't so i can yeah. i can i buy that's it that's definitely one of the that's one of the hallmarks yeah sure. so i'm having trouble picturing um what like a class or method level or maybe i just answer this question a method level indication of communication is is that a good example of, of what i just mentioned or do you have other things for your talk um the the example i spend the most time on is the one that i already told you about okay. with the uh the controller method mm-hmm. um but one of the things that I've noticed in some of my other projects is that uh, a lot of times we'll take over or we'll, we'll come on to a project that's been going for a while and we will notice that uh, there's a ton of stuff in the view helpers and uh, on one of the projects where this was the case uh, we had a, a senior developer who was um, who was who was one of his rules and he was the senior developer. Mm-hmm. One of his rules is you, lib is not to become a junk drawer. So instead, they crammed all this stuff into view helpers because that was where it was allowed to go. Right. It was like in somewhere in app. It could go somewhere in app. It could not go in the lib directory. Mm-hmm. So stuff that probably should have been down there was sort of mushed into these view helpers because that was the appropriate place to put it. 
And something, so there's, there's some breakdown there, right? Like either someone needs to have a discussion about maybe sometimes these things should go and live. Maybe, maybe the, the, the junior developers who are interpreting this took it too literally. Mm-hmm. You know, the, so there's, there's, there's something going on there where, you know, and a lot of times it does have to do with these like uh, fat model skinny controller, this kind of stuff where people yeah. are like, I'm just going to do that because, and I don't really know why I'm doing it exactly. Right. But I'm just going to keep doing it. It's the appeal of the rule of thumb. It's simple. Yeah. I understand it. Therefore, let me follow it. Right. And some guy on the internet said it's a good idea. Right. So is this the first time you've given this talk? Uh, I've done it for my coworkers, but this is the first time I'm doing it in public. Cool. How are you feeling about it? Uh, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be good. I'm cool. excited to do it. I, it's a topic that I have been thinking about for a long time and sort of crystallized for me a few months ago when I wrote the, the abstract for the CFP. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was interesting because I, I submitted two talks. There was one that was really well organized where I had already figured out what I was going to talk about and I was very specific in the abstract about what I was going to talk about and then there was this one. Yeah. And I was not expecting them to take this one. <laughs> uh, but I'm, ex- I'm actually really excited about it because it forced me to really organize my thoughts about it because it was, you know, the abstract that I submitted was essentially a rant. Right. And, uh, you know, rants are great for like five minutes <laughs> but you're like, oh, shit. so now I have to like turn this rant into 45 minutes of actual content yeah uh it was it was definitely one of the most challenging talks i've ever written but it's it's actually been one of the most useful in terms of helping me be able to verbalize right. how i feel about this that's stuff. one of my favorite things about teaching in general and talks in specific is that they force you to do that it's like anytime you have to teach a group something, you have to really get into it yourself. Yeah. Like I've, I've given, I've submitted talk proposals like you did for a talk that's not written. It's like, I sure wish I knew more about X, Y, and Z. So here's a talk about an intro to X, Y, and Z. And they're like, okay, we accept it. And it's like, oh God. Oh God, now I, I have to learn I have it. To learn all that yeah, stuff. I did that with Backbone JS last year because I was like, I don't know enough about JavaScript. I'm going to submit a bunch of talks about JavaScript and Rails. Yep. And it worked, right? It worked. Totally yeah. worked. It's a, it's a good trick. And that's yeah. the, the dirty secret of, of the CFP process. Yeah, exactly. Because you don't have to have your talk written already. <laughs> and you might not want to. Yeah, that's true. If you have it written, it's probably going to be out of date by the time you give it. So right. it might yeah. even be better to not have it written. Mm-hmm. So another thing that you work on is RailsBridge. That's true. Can you tell us what that is? RailsBridge is a, a nonprofit organization. And we're based in San Francisco. And we do a lot of workshops to try and get more women into Ruby and into Rails. And we've been going for about three years, and we've done, I think, aggregate somewhere around 60 workshops. Uh, each workshop is uh, an evening followed by a day, so it's a Friday night and a Saturday usually. And uh, we, we try, we get, our, our turnout tends to be about half women who are already developers but don't know Ruby, and half people who are completely new to programming, mm-hmm. which is an interesting challenge. I mean, what you yeah, were saying earlier about... About learning something really well when you have to teach it. Well, I mean, if you ever have to explain to someone what a variable is, right? That's actually pretty challenging. Like, right. What What is a variable? It's a It's a cubby where you put stuff. It's yeah. a It's the a thing that varies. It's a thing that varies, right? And, and, and so, through the process of RailsBridge, actually, I've learned a lot more about Ruby and about Rails than I'm I sure. knew before. Even though I felt going into these projects that. I probably know a decent amount about this stuff. I certainly know more than the people that are in my class, but but every time I teach the class, I learn something random and weird. And mm. like uh, we build the same Rails app every time, and every time I do it, I learn something new. Like I learned, oh, Cucumber doesn't work on this particular version of OS X, or I need to, you know. So there's always something that's yeah. that's uh, 
that I learn at every every single one. And even if it's just, oh, I learned that some people don't think the way I do about data types or they don't understand why you would want to add two numbers together which is a really like you're like hmm, well, yeah, well I mean that's that's <laughs> right. very logical right what's like the philosophical underpinnings of the addition what, what, what is it all for right, right. <laughs> why are we adding why not subtracting yeah so do you have any um, sense that this these workshops are working um, well in the in the time that we've been doing them in San Francisco we've gone from me being essentially me and Sarah Allen, who started this with me, being the only women that ever showed up to meetups, up to the point where now we're about 20% women usually at most nice. of our meetups. Cool. And these, um, are all, these are all alums of your program? A lot of them are, yeah. And we have a few. We haven't done a whole lot of sort of uh, analysis of whether how many people go on to get jobs and how many people just decide it's not for them. And, yeah. But we have anecdotal success stories of people coming in and being like, hey, this is awesome. I'm going to now do an open source project so I can get some more experience and then becoming a developer, like actually getting a job. And, uh, you know, it's a good time to try and get a job as a Rails developer, yeah, as you good. might know. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, we do see a lot of, of companies that are open to hiring someone who's fairly junior. And especially because a lot of the, well, a lot of the, clients, um, the clients that Pivotal works with, which is where I work, they... Um, they do the pivotal process even after they leave, so they're even more open to, especially because of the pair programming component, um, which is a great way to teach and a great way to learn. They're um, also usually open to hiring junior people. So, uh, so it's been it's been really interesting. And I, the other interesting effect that I did not anticipate is that um, uh, there's been a lot of other projects that were sort of inspired by RailsBridge and then gone went off in a completely different direction. Like there's the uh, there's an organization called Rails Girls, which yeah. is very similar, but their their approach is different. They um, rather than being sort of classroom style, they uh, break up into groups and like build their own applications together, which is uh, just a different way that people can learn. And I think that that a lot of these are complementary techniques for learning. Some people respond really well to a classroom. Some people respond really well to okay, let's just do it. let's just do it. Let's just make something. Uh, hmm. And there's also um, there's an organization called uh, Black Girls Code, which is uh, ha- came from an alumni of Ruba of, uh, of a Railsbridge workshop. Um, and then there's also been a bunch of these types of things started in other languages. Like there's PyLadies, there's a Confident Coding, which is the same idea but in JavaScript. And so that's been really awesome. Like I think that <laughs> I, I actually think that the more of these there are, and the more different approaches we have to this, the more successful we'll be. Yeah. So I don't really I don't feel like uh, they're copying us or anything like that. I think that like having different organizations do things slightly differently is just going to be better for everybody. Sure, totally. So you work for Pivotal. I do. Uh, how do you like pairing all the time? Uh, at first, it was super exhausting. Yeah. I think for the first, I don't actually remember a lot about the first three months that I worked at Pivotal because I was tired a lot. Yeah, I was really tired. I, 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 I had done a little bit of pair programming before, but not that much. Certainly not all day. Certainly not eight hours. Yeah. For like five days a week. Um, but but it's 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 an interesting thing. It's it definitely made me a better communicator in general. Like not just to tech people, but to non-tech people. Hmm. Like I noticed, I went to an alumni event for my school uh, a few months after I joined Pivotal, and I could suddenly make small talk with everyone there. Hmm. Which I had never been able to do before. Like I, you know, it's full of like quasi awkward people and yeah, and you know people who do some things that 
I have no idea what they do, like law and medicine and things like this. And I, I was suddenly able to like ask them questions about what they do and, hmm. <laughs> you know, doing, I, and I never thought I was that type of person because I was not that awesome at it when I was a kid and everyone told me, oh, well, you might like, you, know, you might like, maybe you should go into the sciences, you know. I was never one of these people that, like, I want to work with people. That was never me. Yeah. And, uh, but it turns out you can learn that. It's a hmm. skill. You practice. You get better. Yeah. Uh, it's not like a talent that you have or you don't have. Yeah. And uh, being pro- close proximity lets you practice that. Right. And so talking eight hours a day helps you learn how to talk. Right. Go figure. <laughs> so when, you, when you're writing code on your own for, like, your own projects or whatever, do you, do you, ever, do you miss the pair or do you feel liberated? I sometimes miss it because uh, I just get so used to explaining what I'm doing and getting feedback on that that uh, sometimes I'll just sit there and explain it to uh, like the absent person sitting next to me or to the couch cushion next to me. Yeah. Uh, I think I probably look kind of crazy when I do that, but hey, whatever. Oh well. Cool. Uh, Although, and and I, but I do like you know this definitely a place for just doing random stuff at a hack night or something along those lines where you're just like, I'm just going to do all the stuff I'm not supposed to do. Totally. Yeah. So. Helps you remember why you don't do it. Right. Yeah. That's, well, that's true. So you guys got acquired by EMC we not did. too long that's ago. True. Yeah. How has that gone for you personally? Uh, you know, not a whole lot has changed, uh, at least in the San Francisco office. So my big fear when we were acquired was that they would make us use Outlook. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a legitimate fear. But that has not happened. Mm-hmm. In fact, I believe it was written into the contract that they were not allowed to make us use uh, Outlook. Wow. So uh, they pretty much left us alone. And the, the goal of the acquisition, as far as ENC was concerned, was to, uh, was to have in their portfolio of, they have dozens of companies they own, to have a company that works with startups, because they have a consulting wing mm-hmm. that does mostly sort of back office IT for large corporations. Uh, and they wanted uh, to have uh, the consulting company that does sort of the agile thing with startups in their portfolio. Uh, and the interesting thing about it is that they would like to learn some of those techniques themselves. Um, but, you know, it, large companies have a hard time adopting that kind of stuff. And so they want us to keep working with startups so that we can sort of stay on the cutting edge of that type of stuff, especially the process stuff. Uh, but they would also like us eventually, I think, in very, very long term, to help them figure out how to move that process into their organization. Because they have like 40,000 people. It's a right. huge company. Yeah. And a lot of those are developers. Like, it's a very technical company. Mm-hmm. So the, the only outward appearance of that so far, though, is that our, we've gotten a few, our client base has shifted a little bit. I feel like we're getting uh, more projects from larger companies that are EMC introductions. Uh, but it's been interesting for us because m- since we've mostly worked on startups, we still have a lot of startups in the office and we still do a lot of those projects. But it's interesting to go back and forth between uh, those different types of projects yeah, because they are so different. Mm. The problems are different. You know, the problems when you're in a larger company trying to do this kind of process is mostly about... Um, is mostly about winning over the people in between the developers and the people who sign the checks. And to a limited extent, that may be true in startups too, but that, that, that distance is usually much shorter. Mm-hmm. So there are fewer sort of levels of management in between the people you're actually working with and the people who decided to sign the contract in the first place. Mm. 
And I think in a larger organization, um, those people in the middle sometimes struggle to see where they fit into that process. Right. Uh, and, and how they can do things like that they want to do, such as uh, rank all of their employees in terms of which ones are most important to the company. How do you do that when all of your code is collectively owned? Mm. Right? How do you say this person is more valuable than that person when it's really the output of the team that they're trying to judge? Yeah. And the other thing that's interesting, uh, especially in big companies, is performance reviews. Because they'll want, they'll want something like, oh, send me all the stuff that you did. You individually. And they don't want to hear things like, well, I helped do this or I did that. But if you're pair programming the whole time, there's right. not a whole lot that you individually are doing necessarily. Right. Totally. And so it's hard to figure out how to fit the process into those existing models of uh, hierarchy and developments, like development organizations in a larger context. I think that's still an open question. Like, I'm not sure that anyone's figured out what the right way to do that is. Sure. Yeah, it's interesting. I had a note here to ask you about what it's like to work at a bigger company, but it sounds like you don't. <laughs> not really. Yeah. We, were, we, still, we have some clients that are bigger companies, but yeah. for the most part, it feels pretty much the same. I mean, yeah, I also said us and them, so yeah. that might be indicative. Well, you can of, tell when the EMC people show up, because, and you can tell that someone told them dress real casual, <laughs> because they show up with a sport coat instead of a suit. Uh-huh. Right? So... Yeah, you can tell when a group of them get off the elevator. Uh, interesting. <laughs> um, do you still give Ruby workshops other than the Rails Bridge? Are you still teaching people Ruby outside that? I've done a little bit. I've done some kids programming stuff here and there. Hmm. Um, I did, uh, I actually did, uh, this was actually maybe last year's GoGaruko. We did a kids Ruby workshop. Hmm. My daughter, who is six, came. And she was actually, she was in uh, uh, first grade at the time. And she was not quite like not quite fluently reading yet and uh but she had a, she actually really enjoyed it she liked kids ruby a lot uh and she enjoyed like she got the concept of loops she could like print something out 10 times if she you know it, it was really interesting to see how how even younger kids if you present programming concepts in a way that makes sense to them can actually understand fairly sophisticated things yeah um and I've been doing workshops on and off for conferences and things, but for the most part, I've been focusing on the RailsBridge stuff and, and Kids Ruby here and there. Gotcha. Cool. So do you like all the stuff you're doing? You happy with how everything's going? <laughs> yeah, I think I'm one of these people that needs to stay busy all the time, which is why I, I like, have all of these things that I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I feel like one of the... So... Hmm. You can say it. When I was, uh, so when I was, when my daughter was born, she's seven now, uh, we, there was a period of time in my life when I thought, huh, well, maybe I want to be a stay-at-home parent. Mm -hmm. So we tried it. Uh, it took me about six months to admit to myself that I absolutely hated it. And at that point, and then it took me another six months to, like, find good enough childcare where I felt like I could look for a job. And I'd been a Java programmer, but I found that no one would interview me with, like, this 18-month-ish gap in my resume. Like, I hadn't done hmm. any, you know, the last job on my, on my resume, the most recent job was 18 months ago. Um, and it was amazing. Like, uh, it was really amazing. And I, uh, and I finally decided, okay, well, maybe I need to do some more of this, like, networking stuff I've heard about. So, uh, so I, I joined a bunch of mailing lists. One of the mailing lists I joined was a, a women in tech 
group called Sisters, which was run by the Anita Borg Institute. And a woman on there had posted something saying, well, I've got this ticket to a Ruby conference that I can't go to. Uh, and I need some Java work done. So if someone could come in and help me with this Java stuff, you can have my ticket to this conference. And it turns out that was the first RailsConf in 2006. Wow. So I got a ticket to the first RailsConf. I bought a Ruby book so I could read it on the plane on the way there. So I at least have some idea of what I was talking about when I got there. Yeah. Uh, and I, I really liked it. It was really fun. I met all sorts of interesting people and this was like not the same as any java conference i'd ever been to like it was much more fun it was was a couple hundred people maybe 300 people yeah um and it was it was really fun and i came back and i finished up this java work and then she hired me to do rail stuff and then i got another job when when um when they ran out of money i went and got another job and then you know so i got back into the tech industry basically because uh, someone took a chance on me, even with this gap in my resume, that I yeah. could do the job. And so a lot of the reason that I do RailsBridge comes down to giving other people that opportunity to f- giving them a door back into the industry if they've been out. Um, you know, a lot of women and a lot of men, too, but this seems to be disproportionately women spend some time not working for whatever reason, whether it's kids or it's their parents or you know, taking care of, of, of various family members and sometimes just friends. And sometimes they just go off and do other stuff for a while. Like, right. they'll have a CS degree, but they'll go off and be a project manager for, for a couple of years. And, and I think that having uh, this explicit, like, way to get back is important because when I was looking for that, I couldn't find it. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't understand the open source community at the time. I didn't really, you know, people were like, I think people probably told me, you know, you should work on some open. I didn't even really know what that meant. Mm-hmm. And so I needed something that was more like, okay, show up and we'll show you how to do this instead of like sit at home and figure it out. Right. Because it was just not, I didn't have enough context to make that jump. So part of what I've been doing is trying to make that barrier a little bit lower so that people can, if they're interested in programming, could like come and try it out for a day, right? It's not a big investment of your time. And maybe you'll decide whether you want to do it or not. Mm. It's essentially, I mean, in a day, you don't learn a whole lot of actual Ruby, right? Sure. Or, or not even a lot of Rails, but it's, it's kind of a marketing exercise. It's kind of like a come and see if you like it. Mm-hmm. And then we'll give you resources to go off and do other stuff if you actually decide that you want to do this and you want to become a developer or you want to switch from whatever it is to Ruby. Then we'll give you resources to do that. But it's essentially like just come and try it out. And... Uh, it's been really interesting to talk to the people that actually show up at the workshops because a lot of them have been in very similar situations where they're like, well, I, you know, I have this big gap and I can't seem to find anyone who thinks I can do anything, even though, you know, they think I don't have current, you know, software design is not really something that you forget how to do. Like you might be out of date on the syntax or on the frameworks, but if you're a good developer, there's, there's a certain sort of permanence to that state. So um, so I, I feel, I get a lot of energy out of the feeling that I am lowering that barrier for people. Hmm. And so I think a lot, that's where a lot of people wonder how I do all this stuff. Because um, I've got two kids, you know, I work, I pair program eight hours a day, right? Like, where do I find this time? But I, I just, I get a lot of energy out of it. So it seems to feed back on itself. Awesome. That sounds good. So um, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, uh, what's a good way to do that? 
Uh, probably Twitter is the best way to actually get a hold of me. Okay. Uh, I have email that you can find on the internet, but I actually don't look at my email that much. <laughs> and what is your Twitter handle? It's Sarah May. Okay, M-E-I? M-E-I, that's right. With, with an with H on Sarah. All right. Cool. Yes. Well, thank you very much for coming by and chatting. It's, uh, Thanks for inviting great. me. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Have a good conference. Thank you. All right, bye.